America knows war. They are war masters. We tortured some folks. So I'm going to uh, shirt front, Mr. Putin. You bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. You were born with democracy choices. You have free election right, but we don't. Please help us. Patton Rod Save the World. Welcome to Patton Rod Save the World. It's the week ending 14 February 2015. I'm Pat Brown. I'm Roderick Macon. Today, three topics. Um, well, at least we'll try to get to three every now and again. We yeah. envisage getting there and don't. <laughs> yeah, go off on random tangents that uh, take about half an hour and uh, we, uh, we don't get to the final topic. We'll see how we go. So the first topic is going to be Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah, so there's been a bit happening there this week. Should we just go straight into it? Sure. Let me sketch out the other two. Okay. Um, we'll follow that up with a discussion of the Chapel Hill shootings yep. uh, in, a, in the United States, North Carolina, I think. Yep. Um, and we'll uh, finish up with a discussion of Dominic Strauss-Kahn, the um, sexually adventurous, formerly front-running French political candidate. Yes. And, w- and whether, uh, whether his uh, alleged antics and a couple of other similar stories that have been in the news in the past few months, do we think it makes it more or less likely um, that global conspiracies exist? Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, All right, you so, start with the uh, the Ukraine. You know a lot more about it than I do. Uh, I um, I actually haven't followed the news this week as closely as I should have, considering the uh, the interest I've had in what's been going on in Ukraine um, for so long now. Um, but uh, basically. Uh, big um, negotiations happening, uh, and another ceasefire has been um, has been reached. This comes after there were UN reports uh, a couple of weeks ago stating that the number of deaths in Ukraine now had uh, gone well over five thousand. Another ten thousand people wounded. Um, it's become really, you know, quite a large conflict. As far as conflicts in armed conflicts in Europe go these days. Uh, Just for a bit of extra background, for those of you who aren't across the situation, it's essentially um, Eastern Ukrainian uh, rebels that are backed by the Russian army who are fighting against the Western-supported Ukrainian army and taking a fair amount of territory. Yes. Uh, you know, the uh, the Russians have already taken over you know a big chunk of Ukraine, that being uh, the peninsula of, of Crimea. Uh, and uh, that was over 12 months ago now. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I didn't see the footage, but apparently when uh, when these negotiations for this ceasefire finished, uh, Putin was just the smuggest motherfucker you've ever seen, uh, and the Ukrainian leader was just haggard and defeated, and people sort of wondering what that means. In the hours after the uh, the ceasefire was arranged, another eight Ukrainian uh, military personnel have already been killed. Um, and it's worth mentioning there was another very similar ceasefire a few months ago. Yeah, that just failed. that was absolutely worthless. Yeah. Um, so people are basically uh, speculating that this one will be just as ridiculous, and that this is essentially a device for Putin to give the European Union false hope of uh, settlement so that they don't unify and stand against him or take a more hardline stance. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's an interesting thought. About, you know, we were mentioned, we were talking about it before. You know, what's what's Putin's end game here? 
Um, and, you know, for a lot of people in that part of the world, uh, uh, and if, uh, if you haven't listened to any of these podcasts before, um, I think one of our early ones I was mentioning that uh, I actually spent um, uh, a couple of weeks there writing some articles uh, in Ukraine um, last year. Uh, and a lot of people in that part of the world who I spoke to, uh, you know, are genuinely worried about uh, the old KGB agent Putin looking at all these former Soviet countries and just wanting them back. Um, so the ones that are apparently on the shopping list, Moldova Mo- Mo- and... Uh, I, Poland, I, I, th- I think Poland would be unlikely. Yeah, um, I, I'd agree. Yeah. But I mean, Moldova's considered bite size. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a small country with very, very similar um, issues to what... Uh, Putin has been able to play up in Ukraine, uh, namely that there is, um, you know, a substantial number of, uh, of the population there who are basically transplanted Russians um, from the Soviet era, uh, people from Russia who moved there in the 50s and 60s. Um, and he could play up the same sort of uh, native Russian speakers angle that he's uh, played up in, uh, in eastern Ukraine in particular. Uh, for anyone who's not, uh, who hasn't heard about that, uh, a lot of the Russian justification um, for what they've been doing is the uh, is the idea that native Russian speakers are under attack by neo-Nazi Western uh, Europe-loving Ukrainians, uh, which which there's about ten percent of truth to. Yeah, like it's not like there aren't uh, radical right-wing. Ukrainians, but shit, there's radical right-wing Australians, there's radical right-wing Americans. Um, I mean, they're clearly the yeah. minority, and these populations are clearly not under any kind of threat. Not not whatsoever. I mean, I when I was in Ukraine, I spoke to people who were from Crimea, who were from Donetsk, which is, um, you know, rebel central, apparently. I went and spent some time in Kharkiv, which is... Uh, one of the largest cities in Ukraine, 40 kilometers from the Russian border. So as Eastern Ukraine as you get just about. Uh, and there just isn't, you know, any sort of dis- widespread discrimination against Russian speakers. It's a ridiculous idea. People laugh at me when I, laughed at me when I asked them about it. I mean, we all speak Russian, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> we're all Russian speakers. It's, um, uh, and I spoke to a real. I, I tried to speak to a, a really wide range of people when I was there. I mean, young students through to middle-aged, successful business people through to old grandmothers in the street. And the whole time I was there, I found one person who was really pro-Russian, um, and he was a racist taxi driver. Uh, <laughs> so, if that's your data point in favour of Putin, first of all, I'm not surprised. Yeah. But second of all, if Putin can only get a racist taxi driver to agree with him. Yeah. Um, and like, a, a point to make, it's not like there isn't uh, no um, support for, for, for Russia and Putin within Ukraine and Eastern Ukraine in particular, but it's, it's definitely a minority as well. Uh, anyway, um, so back just, to, so yeah, I think that's enough background. Oh, just one other thing yeah. that's worth mentioning is that there's a split that's really open between the Europeans and the Americans. Yeah. That's the Americans so are pretty keen. I mean, the majority of the foreign policy establishment in the United States um, seems to be in favour of arming the Ukrainians um, with Western weaponry to fight 
um, the rebels and the infiltrated Russian troops. And the Europeans, particularly Angela Merkel, who for the most part sort of sets the agenda for the European response, yep. are dead against it. Um, they are essentially against doing anything that would lead to escalation. Um, and, I mean, would you say that it's accurate? It, it's an accurate description of the European policy right now that it's okay for a significant portion of Ukraine to be essentially controlled de facto by Putin? Uh, it seems that way only because... Uh you know they've done. They, they don't seem keen to really give much in the way of um, of concrete support to uh, to Ukraine over this. I mean there've been sanctions um, by US and uh, and Europe against Russia, and they have been successful. Um, they've done a lot of damage. To yeah, the com combined with falling oil and commodity prices, uh, the Russian economy is tanking terribly, and uh, uh, I. I the trouble is, I'm just not sure how much that's actually hurting Putin. Uh, yeah, I mean, the unfortunate fact of the matter is that Putin's favourability ratings remain as high as ever. Mm. And it's not as if the Russians aren't accustomed to dealing with just a shit life, <laughs> to put it frankly. like um, So the way they see it, they need to ride it out against the um, you know Western aggression and conspiracy. Um, and uh, they'll keep on doing what Russia's always done, which is to, um, you know, dig in and last it out. Yeah. Uh, we were uh, just trying to, uh, you know, to work out what the next move should be. And, uh, and I suspect it's just going to be a continuation of the, uh, uh, of the sanctions. Maybe some more will be brought in. Um, and eventually it might work. Eventually, on the other hand, it might um, just uh, push Putin into uh, into being more aggressive um, and uh, it, w it was interesting that uh, in the last week or so there was um, I think it was the first official statement um, from you know anyone on the, the US or European side of things uh, and it was from Obama talking about negotiations uh, about Ukraine and having all options on the table including more sanctions but more specifically including actually arming the uh, the Ukrainians um, and that's you know the the, the, the Europeans shot that down quite quickly um, but I threw out the idea to Pat uh, earlier today and when I did I, I was I was thinking that it was probably a bad idea but it was it was worth talking about and it was the idea of just forcing it forcing things to a head um, just uh, getting the Ukrainian government to request European or NATO troops uh, to come in and help them out and then sending them in just to basically call Putin's bluff. Say, like, all right, do you want to, what do you want to do here? Um, and a lot of me still suspects that's a bad idea, but the more I think about it, the less bad idea I think it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's undeniably an escalation. Yeah. But as we were discussing before, it's really as well a de-escalation in the sense that you essentially, yes, you essentially um, freeze the current situation as the status quo. The current situation 
is that the Russian government exercises tremendous influence over a significant swathe of eastern Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so you you give Putin something to to walk away with, to climb down with, and you draw a red line um, underneath uh, the eastern Ukraine and and uh, make it clear that any further initiatives by uh, Mr. Putin would not be met. Um, with a sort of a meek uh, response. Yeah, uh, that's um, a a, high, a very logical way of looking at it, uh, and um, a very practical way of looking at it. I part of me just doesn't like the idea of him getting away, of Putin getting away with just being able to walk away with huge chunks of eastern Ukraine because that's a massive victory for him. He already has. Uh, Crimea, which was a massive victory for him, but I just, I, 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 even I can't see that ever going back to Ukraine now. Putin's not going to give that back. Um, no, I'd like, I, I would, I would prefer to see if you know you were forcing the issue to a head, bringing in NATO troops. Um, the uh, the negotiation at that point being saying, look, you can keep Ukraine, but. You're not getting any more of. Uh, you can keep Crimea, but you're not getting any more of Eastern Ukraine. Whether that would be um, at all workable with uh, with Putin is highly debatable. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, the question becomes, who's going to take it from me? Yeah. Um, and while it's not a direct confrontation between Russia and the um, and Kiev currently. Um, you know, Kiev's not going to be able to take back the territory that Russian-supported rebels have seized without significant Western response, like support um, for a, an aggressive initiative to take back territory, which I really can't see happening. Yeah, it, uh, uh, again, though, it's not exactly a case of them having to take back territory. Um, for the most part, the Ukrainian government is at least nominally in control of eastern Ukraine at the moment, and it is Russian-backed rebels who are attacking them rather than it being the other way around. Haven't they taken, though, a really massive um, area since the last ceasefire? I read somewhere it was 500 square miles. Uh, I think that's the area where they're active in, but they don't actually control they it. They don't by no means control it. Yeah, at least that's what I've... Uh, read. And I mean, the other th part about that is, um, and again, I, I agree it'd be probably the most practical and easy way of uh, doing it, but it is fucking over a, a large number of Ukrainians who do not want to be part of Russia. Like I say, there are a minority there, particularly in eastern Ukraine, who do, um, but even in eastern Ukraine, um, it's just not the case. Um, uh, and again, um, you know, I, I spoke to people from, you know, uh, Donetsk and, and Crimea and places like this who just flat out refuse to entertain the notion <laughs> that, uh, that they're Russians, no, that we're Ukrainians. Even, uh, even guys who were, um, you know, the transplanted Russians who Putin is, uh, uh, apparently there to protect, um, was, uh, one of them was saying, you know, yeah, uh, my father, my grandfather or great grandfather, I think, can't remember what it was, you know, came here from Russia, and 
I think, you know, for a generation or two, they still considered themselves Russians. Um, but at this stage, it was like, no, no, don't be silly. I'm not Russian. I'm Ukrainian. Um, yeah. Well, there'd be a lot of people who married in. So I'm sure yeah. people have got, lots of people have got mixed ancestry. Yeah. And they'd probably just default to the Ukrainian side of it because that's where they are. Um, yeah. So it's hard to see. I, I think the real question right now is... If the current ceasefire doesn't hold, I'd mm. suggest that in the back rooms, the Americans have said to the Europeans, look, we're going to give this ceasefire thing another go. Yeah. If it doesn't hold, if he continues to push, then we're going to arm the Ukrainians. And if they arm the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians really start to push back militarily in the east. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the potential outcome of that is? Uh, the Russians... I, I, would, I would actually suspect that that has more of a chance of escalating things um, in terms of military conflict than just sending in some European or NATO troops. The, mm. more, I, the more I think about it, because as long as it is just Ukraine fighting against um, Ukrainian rebels and uh, brave Russian volunteers who are just there to stop uh, Russians, the, the, the aggression of Ukrainian of Western Ukrainians against native Russian speakers. Thanks, Putin. Um, uh, then I think Russia will be quite happy to just keep sending in their you know, completely volunteered troops, um, and it, I, I, I think that would uh, would definitely just keep escalating it. Um, mm. Yeah, the thing is though is that. Until you tried to end it, mm. the only other option really is to just push back against Putin. And the only practical way for the West to do that is to put weapons into the hands of the sort of West, Western-run yeah. Ukrainian army. The problem is, though, there are echoes of the sort of South Vietnamese government there in the sense that, uh, make no mistake, everybody, <laughs> the... Uh, Western Ukrainians, the, the Kiev-based government is incredibly corrupt. Oh, yeah. And uh, not necessarily a safe pair of hands. So, I mean, it, the options are just shit on every front. <laughs> and I don't envy the people who need to make decisions about this. Yeah, I mean, corruption in Ukrainian <clears throat> politics has been a, a long-running problem. The, um, the uh, Russian-supporting government who were ousted in the um, in the Euromaidan protests were massively corrupt, but the more European-looking government that they replaced in the first place were massively corrupt. And a lot of those people are now sort of, uh, you know, back again now. It's, um, it's not a great, uh, it's not a great position for your average Ukrainian to be in, that's for sure. That is for sure. I mean, the Ukrainians have really suffered a lot. It's um, not a good thing um, to be a Ukrainian for your health, basically. Um, so, mate, let's move on to the next topic. I feel like we covered that one. Yeah, well. I think that's right. It's uh, just about there. Um, Chapel Hill shootings in the United States. Um, the facts are a bit scanty at the moment, but to be very brief, um, three young Muslim students were shot, execution style, um, in the head by a guy who lived in the same apartment complex, um, according to the Chapel Hill police, over a parking dispute. 
Um, and he had apparently had a few run-ins with them before where he had um, brought a weapon to the confrontation. Um, and I suppose in a threatening way, um, he was uh, uh, disputing certain parts of the sort of politics of the complex. Um, and he made good on those uh, threats a few days ago and uh, killed three people. Seems a very stupid thing to kill people over. Um, but where, you know, uh, considering that, what is it, 33 people get shot a day in America? Yeah. Um, or shot and killed, not just shot. Mm. Uh, I think. Is that is that the right statistic? I couldn't tell you, actually. Is that um, right? It's about that. I, I, it's a lot of people. Yeah. I don't think we need to look up that statistic. Yeah. People getting shot dead in the United States is not that rare. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reason that this has suddenly, you know, become a, a news story all around the world uh, is because it was um, three young Muslims shot by a, uh, by a white guy with very strong atheist um, mm. beliefs. Um, a strident atheist. And yeah. at, the, at this point, it seems that the only thing that people have to go on in calling this a hate crime is the fact that um, the family of the victims say that the victims said to the family before the uh, murders took place that this man hates us because we're Muslim. Yeah, um, that's the general gist of it. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it is interesting that um, uh, a story I read uh, in the New York Times this morning uh, that the police haven't questioned the family yet. Um, really? Yeah. Which is uh, which is odd. Um, the FBI have already stepped in and are conducting their own sort of investigation into whether it was a um, an anti-Muslim hate crime, which is unusual so early in an investigation. Um, but it's also just the um, the the massive amount of uh, anti-Muslim sentiment there is in the U.S. at the moment, um, you know, with uh, well, I mean, you only had to look at the reaction to uh, American Sniper, which we spoke about a little while, uh, a few podcasts ago, um, and uh, you know, if you want to just despair of human nature. Get on Twitter and take a look at some um, take a look at some reactions from people walking out of the uh, out of the American Sniper movie in the states about how they uh, just want to go and shoot some filthy Arabs at the moment. Um, there's all sorts of shit like that, um, and so it's uh, it's at a really uh, delicate stage um, for such a for such an attack to happen. I think. You'd need more information. Certainly, I mean, obviously, you need more information at the moment to say whether or not um, there's a, uh, you know, whether or not he did shoot them because they were Muslim. Um, it seems like, look, to my mind, yeah. I've not seen any evidence to suggest that it's actually a hate crime. I see a lot of evidence to the effect that this guy was a deranged individual, that he was a self-appointed policeman at the apartment um, complex a la Mr. Zimmerman um, in the Florida shooting of Trayvon Martin, and that um, he took matters 
I mean, it's, you can't even call it taking matters into your, into your own hands. I mean, he's just a lunatic who shot people dead over petty neighbourhood disputes. Um, and so, you know, the fact that he happened to be a strident atheist um, and the fact that these people happen to be uh, Muslim, I don't think makes it a hate crime necessarily. Yeah, I'm not going to immediately agree with that. I'll wait to see more information. I suspect that he... Yeah. I, I suspect that... Uh, I should be clear, though. I mean, that's with the current information. Yeah. And that's my provisional opinion. Um, and... Um, they, uh, the, the statement by the, by the police that they thought it was over a parking dispute was just after they'd arrested the guy. So they're only going on pretty much what he's uh, told them that's true. at that point. And, I'd also and he's not going to say, I shot them because they were Muslim. That's true. And I'd also agree with the contention that people are making that the Chapel Hill police have every interest in um, waving people along and saying nothing to see. Yeah. Uh, and I also... Um, not saying this is what you were doing. I'm also aware of the fact that whenever a um, whenever a Muslim kills someone in the world, it's immediately called terrorism straight off the bat. Mm. Um, whereas if uh, uh, you know a white guy shoots someone, he's a deranged loner. Um, Absolutely. A, um, I, I would make the distinction though that at this point there are no statements to the effect that on behalf of uh, atheists everywhere, yeah. that this guy decided to slaughter some Muslims. Um, whereas when you have a situation that people call terrorism, it's usually because the perpetrators of the crime themselves yeah, have, have made very clear that their motives are religious. Yeah, and that is, a, that is an important point to make because uh, a lot of people around the world have been uh, jumping up and down about the point that... Um, that I just made, um, it's immediately called terrorism if a Muslim does it, and if it's a white guy, it's, he's just mentally disturbed, loner, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but it's immediately called terrorism in a lot of the cases where uh, Muslims kill people, Charlie Hebdo, um, in, uh, in Australia this week, they didn't kill anyone, um, but uh, a couple of uh, young Muslim guys in Sydney were arrested. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they've only just been arrested and charged, but the suggestion is that they had, uh, there was a tip-off to the police um, and they've made statements in the past about yeah. killing people for ISIS. Not to mention the uh, fact that the police found a martyrdom video yeah. where they actually, that they planned to release after they'd perpetrated the deed that said, we're doing this on behalf of ISIS yeah. for all Muslims everywhere. Like, the minute that... Oh, yeah, yeah. There's evidence to that effect that this guy, like, as a kind of a rabid atheist, decided to gun down some religious yeah. people. Well, not even as a rabid atheist, just as like an American who wants to shoot some filthy Arabs because he's just yeah, watched man. It, because he's just watched the American second sniper. the second you <laughs> see that kind of rhetoric from the guy, yeah, then you of can, course it's a hate crime. Yeah, but until, and that's what's that's what's missing here that isn't missing in for the time being. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that 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 is an important distinction to make, I think. Absolutely. And it's charged identity politics right now. Yeah. Um, because I can understand why, from a Muslim perspective, you would say, well, I mean, everyone's so bloody trigger-happy in relation to calling uh, Muslim misdeeds terrorism, but when you have three Muslim people killed uh, by a guy 
who whose views of the world as pronounced by him are directly against their view of the world that that's not also called um, a hate crime of sorts or an identity crime um, I, I mean I can understand that perspective yeah uh, and it's um, uh, part of what the FBI are looking into now is they're you know trawling through his computer records and uh, you know trying to get into his hard drive and just to see if there are any you know statements that he's made and committed to uh, to the electronic record, I suppose, mm. um, about, you know, wanting to kill Muslims and things like that. Just uh, just quickly, um, uh, wait, I just lost my train of thought completely. No, we'll keep going. Um, okay. Um, it couldn't have been that important. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, every now and again, I lose my train of thought on something important. <laughs> if you think of it later, let me know. Um, the third topic we were going to discuss today um, was Dominic Strauss-Kahn. This is an interesting one. Yeah, just to give you a little bit of background on Dominic Strauss-Kahn. He was the former head of the IMF who in 2011 was accused um, by a hotel maid in Manhattan of having um, sexually assaulted her. He was taken into custody. Um, the lady later withdrew her um, accusation. Uh, I can't remember the reasons, to be honest with you. He was released, sent back to Europe, um, and has been uh, on something of a reputation rehabilitation kick since then. Um, he was a leading contender for the 2012 presidential elections. That was obviously torpedoed by the, um, the accusations in Manhattan. Um, but he has recently become embroiled in a trial um, about essentially sex orgies between powerful men and prostitutes that are, at least according to the New York Times, a kind of prevalent cultural strain in France since the 16th century. They're called uh, libertine sex parties. Something like that. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting trial in the sense that essentially what they're on trial for is uh, prostitution um, or participating in prostitution. And his claim is that lust is no crime. I didn't know they were prostitutes. Of course not. And um, there is therefore nothing to see here. Um and this is in the context, I think it's important to mention, of the French media being, there's, there's a very kind of concerted um, stance in the French media that the private lives of politicians should be left alone. Mm -hmm. In marked contrast, of course, to the United States media where nothing is off limits um, or very few things are off limits. So Rod and I got to talking about this because this article... To my mind, it, it flew in the face of a few theories that I typically bring to my view of the world. <laughs> a and the first of those theories is that people are terrible at keeping their mouths shut. And that second of all, large numbers of people engaged in what you would consider to be sort of illicit activities are not going to be able to carry out, carry out those activities in secrecy as a result. And it actually seems that um, Dominic Strauss-Kahn, a very, very prominent chap, and a lot of his powerful friends, 
were able to engage in this kind of controversial activity um, without the uh, involvement of the press. And that surprised me. It, um, it surprised me a lot less. Um, and it's, uh, it's not that I disagreed with you uh, about people are terrible at keeping secrets. People generally are. Um, but uh, people are also... Uh, People also like to be comfortable, I thought. And I think if, um, for me, self-interest is key. If people are getting a very good deal for keeping their mouths shut, most of them will keep their mouths shut for as long as they are continuing to get a good deal out of it. Um, it's not until you get a bit of, um, uh, you know, people think they might be getting ripped off or something or, or yeah. anything like that. Um, See, my view of it was, I can't believe that the number of people who needed to be involved in these kinds of capers, which apparently happened quarterly, um, would mean that at least a few people would get entrepreneurial about blackmailing the very powerful people that were in attendance. Hmm. Um, and, you know, your response to that was, well, not everyone's as entrepreneurial as you. That's, very, that's a very good point. Pat's a very entrepreneurial guy. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah. I can imagine myself. Yeah, most, most people aren't. Most, most people just want, to be, just want to be paid and live their lives. Mm. Um, and there was also, we did discuss the factor against, lazy. against my worldview that, you know, in terms of like the feeling of being a disposable human being or a human being that's vulnerable and under threat, it's hard to be more vulnerable and threatened um, than uh, being a prostitute. It's a, it's a difficult game to be in. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that apart from being scared for their safety more generally, that in, the, in a context where there are powerful men involved, they'd be even uh, more gun shy about trying anything funny. Um, also, they would have been uh, assumedly getting getting paid a lot of money. They'd have been on a good wicket. They would have been, sure. And I, I suppose my counterexample to this was, well, how about the entrepreneurial waiter <laughs> who set up a phone to record Mitt Romney's comments to a small group of uh, fundraisers? And, you know, these were the 47% of Americans are takers comments. Yeah. I mean, that guy, I don't think he made the difference in the election, but goddamn, he made it a not a close-run thing. Yeah. I think those comments were just devastating to yeah. Romney's campaign. He had, um, he had absolutely nothing in the way of self-interest in not doing what he did, though. Um, That's he true. Wasn't getting, he wasn't getting paid by Romney to keep his mouth shut. Yeah, he was probably working minimum wage or yeah. just above. But I suppose... Yeah. This just weirded me out because I thought, I mean, I was surprised that this kind of thing could go on without being reported in the media, that you could have lots of prominent public figures, um, you know, involved in an orgy. Four times a year. Four times a year, kind of on an eyes wide shut kind of basis. That's what it sounds like, at least from the descriptions during the trial. It's pretty saucy stuff. Um, without anyone find, without anyone in the mainstream media establishment deciding they wanted to report on that. And I think this is where it gets interesting. Is this a public interest story? 
Okay. My view is, is that there is public interest in understanding how elites socialize because that kind of um, culture has an impact on the greater body politic. Yeah, and it's, um, there's, there was a similar uh, sort of case study in the, uh, in the US in recent months. What was the guy's name who was organizing the, um, the ones with uh, Clinton and Prince Philip and... Oh, well, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Um, uh, Epstein. Epstein, that's right. Yeah, a, a large, a very, very rich financier who has been accused, well, actually, he's been convicted or did he plead guilty to underage sex crimes um, in the United States. But um, there is also allegations about the fact that he was ferrying young girls around on private jets to service other prominent public figures, allegedly Bill Clinton um, and the famous lawyer from um, uh, Mr. Dershowitz, Alan Dershowitz, who is... Not Prince Philip. Sorry, I, I said the wrong prince before. <laughs> anyway. Oh, right. Yeah. A- and Prince Philip? Not Prince Philip. Not one of the other princes. Who was it? Prince Andrew? Uh, I flat out can't remember. Well, there's a member of the and royal family have... that's apparently embroiled in it as well. Yeah. Um, Westminster has actually released a rebuttal to the allegations in the court proceedings bought by the uh, young lady who alleges the abuse. Um, But yeah, so similar sort of just very rich, powerful men pretty much doing what they want. Um, Yeah. And look, I I mean, if if people sort of, if that's how they like to roll, I've got nothing to say about it. I mean, I say all power to them. Well, maybe not on the underage thing. Well, not, yeah, obviously not on the underage (laughs) thing. Oh, yeah, just to make it clear, I'm not in favour of underage prostitution. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I'm talking about sort of the libertine thing, if you want to go and, you know, bone down in a giant orgy, if that's what uh, gets your rocks off, I say good luck to you. Go for it. But I do contend that there's a public interest element if you have lots of powerful people who sort of bond in this way. Um, there is... A sort of a question about what flow and effects that has in public policy. Yeah, uh, I mean, say, uh, what was the example you? Used yeah, the, the rather judge? explicit example I yeah. gave you was if you've got, um, you know, a judge. That's it. And say, for the sake of argument, a governor on either end of a prostitute, it's unlikely, or you would say you'd consider it less likely that that judge would make rulings that are adverse to the interests of the governor. Yeah, very, very uh, unlikely that that would occur. That's, it's human nature, okay? Once you've been involved in a kind of, I'm not gonna say, as, as I said before, I don't care what people do in their free time, but this is sort of, it's sort of naughty, illicit, or socially illicit activity. And when people engage in this kind of stuff together, they build alliances. They build essentially pacts of mutually assured destruction. <laughs> and that's a way that people um, form cliques of influence. Now, whether that be sexually, with sexual activity or other kinds of activity, is undeniably a way that people conduct their affairs, that they, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, that they kind of deal in influencing, what's, I mean, I don't know the word you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, 
what I'm saying is basically, if you're into this kind of stuff with other powerful people, and you're all getting together and doing something that you know would be um, widely considered controversial, uh, you're essentially binding yourselves together with a secret. Yeah. And that limits your ability to um, do things that are against the interests of whatever clique you're a part of. So I think that there is a public policy angle to it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, and so do you think the French media should abandon this stance? Because, I mean, here's where I think the, dis the distinction is. If you've got a bloke who likes to go out and pick women up off the curb, and that's all that's involved, he's mm -hmm. not out there doing it with his powerful mates, yeah. I say there's really no business. I, I can't yeah. see that. Unless if, the guy is advocating for uh, the illegality of prostitution. Yeah. I can't if, see Unless there's, there's like a, a, an hypocrisy angle to go with, yeah, it's probably, like, it's not really anyone's business. That's right. Um, I don't see that that's a problem. Yeah. But where you've got a bunch of public figures, from judges to police chiefs to the head of the IMF, yeah. participating in an eyes wide shut party, I'd call it public interest. Yeah. Because yeah, you if uh, if ever you wanted to, you know, uh, take one of these people to court or something, uh, you'd want to know that the judge sitting sitting on the um, sitting deciding it. Um, wasn't uh, wasn't involved wasn't, in wasn't, your, wasn't your opponent's sex body? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that the connections are tenuous. And I've got my little theory about well, when you bind people together in power cliques with kind of illicit activities, it means that they're operating in their public role under a conflict of interest. And that all sounds tenuous. I get it, but I don't think there are many people who would deny that that's a reasonable view of human nature and the sort of the tendencies that would be involved in the dynamic here. So um, there's also that sort of interesting element to it. Yeah. So we're in agreement on this one. On I that, uh, Yeah, on that point we are. On uh, some other points about um, how, how you were surprised they were able to keep doing it for, for so long, I think it, it was pretty understandable. Um, yeah, well, I'm... Obviously, the American media would have a field day with this. Yeah. Um, I don't think that... Like, Elliot Spitzer, a good example of a guy who was boning down with prostitutes. He was the New York governor. Um, and, you know, ultimately was uh, found, down, uh, found out. Um, but he was sort of advocating. He was also prosecuting or the, the titular head of... Uh, an executive authority that was prosecuting people for prostitution. Yeah. So, Nothing funnier than a self-appointed moral guardian getting caught out in massive hypocrisy. Put it this way, I don't think it was his signature policy. No. Right. No. <laughs> but it's and it, but it's not as if he stood up and um, wanted to uh, make prostitution legal. And it, it fascinates me that prostitution is still <laughs> illegal in the United States. Um, I mean, in is it illegal in every state? Um, every state except for Nevada. Of course. Yeah. Or parts of Nevada, even. I actually think that it's kind of a weird administrative thing that in certain parts of Nevada you're allowed to. Um, but, you know, obviously yeah. in Australia we're a bit more sensible about this. Yeah. Just another thing on um, Strauss-Kahn and, um, and the... I just can never remember... Epstein. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Epstein allegations. Um, uh, something that you were mentioning that... Um, I think you were a bit surprised that 
they even risked um, this sort of behaviour in the first place. Um, I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was another thing that we sort of disagreed. I wasn't surprised uh, really at all that they were. Um, uh, and my take on that was basically that when people get to a certain level of power and wealth, they genuinely believe that they can just do whatever the fuck they want and who's going to stop them. Um, well, I, yeah, but the thing is, these people don't lose sight of the fact, I mean, there's one, there's one word response to who's going to stop them. The media. Media will stop them. Um, you, you can't... Well, the media don't find out. That's right. But, I mean, this goes to my point. Like, how can you expect people to keep their mouths shut? At least in Epstein's case, well, it seems... eventually someone didn't. But... but how could you be so stupid as to think <laughs> that it was possible for all these people to keep their mouths shut? Because your ego is out of control and you can do what you want. Maybe they can... lose sight. Maybe yeah. they do. And maybe there's a lot more illicit activity... Well, I'm sure there is a lot more illicit activity going on under the surface than we know about. Um, I, you know, maybe there's an argument to be made even that there's more going on right now because the muckraking journalist is becoming a scarcer commodity. There aren't so many yeah, investigative journalists Although, out there. Yeah, that's true. Although um, pretty much anyone can break a uh, international news story now if they've got a phone. Uh, yeah. You, uh, you, take a fo you take a photo, you put it on Twitter. Um, so I would say, in a way, it's actually more dangerous for them these days. Um, yeah, there was a, a picture of uh, naked Prince William in a Nevada hotel, in a Las Vegas hotel room a few years ago. Uh, you might have the wrong prince as well. Sorry, Prince Harry. Yeah. That's right. Take it back. So, yeah, <laughs> Prince Harry. Yeah, and shit, then there's the idiots who take photos themselves, like, uh, what was it, Anthony Weiner? Oh, yeah, right. Or the, yeah. uh, or the Australian uh, politician who sent photos of his dick in a glass of red wine. Uh, in, in a glass? Yeah, apparently so. In a glass? I didn't see the photo, but... Uh, what think, does that say? Um, that's... <laughs> I mean, what is that actually? What's the message there? <laughs> it's as what? good as red wine. This is indistinguishable well, from he, red he, uh, he wasn't the youngest of gentlemen, so maybe we're trying to make a point about things improving with age. I, I, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I'm going with that. I like that explanation. Although, I mean, there is something innately funny about, like, sticking your dick into red wine because it's kind of like... No, that's that's funny. I mean, I think that's actually because they. I don't think he was trying to be funny. Though. They're two things that don't go together ordinarily. Put it that way, or maybe they do. I mean, you know, I'm no, sure no. a lot of people get to have some great sex after they've drunk red red wine. So yeah, what he might be, okay. Here's my view. He is basically showing that you wouldn't think that these things go together so well, but actually they do. Let's, so let uh, me just represent the point as explicitly and bluntly as possible. I think that works. Uh, as someone who has drunk a lot of red wine in my life, let me just point out that uh, at no point have I ever considered putting my dick in the glass as a good idea. Yeah, well, obviously he's more creative than you, right? Obviously. Obviously more yeah. creative. Um, I just think this is an interesting topic. It, I'll be honest, it basically it flies against my view that... 
uh, people are not good at keeping their mouth shut in all circumstances. Um, yeah. I think in general people have trouble keeping their mouth shut, but if it's in someone's best interest um, economically as well as personally um, and they their lives are more comfortable for them keeping their mouths shut, mm. then most of them will keep their mouths shut for a long period of time. It might eventually get out. Um, and in both these cases, it has eventually gotten out. Um, yeah, but it was never a kind of a sure thing. Yeah. And in the case of Dominic Strauss-Kahn, you can imagine this not having gotten out because there was no scrutiny, mm. um, because he wasn't charged for sexually assaulting a person in New York. Yeah. So... I mean, I suppose, and the weird thing about this is, is that if people are able to keep their mouths shut to allow this kind of thing to happen, or to allow it to happen to such an extent that, like, people think that this is a, a thing they can get away with, because they wouldn't do it if they didn't think they could get away with it. Yeah. That sort of makes conspiracies more likely than I would have thought. And I'm not going to get out there and say that I'm now a conspiracy theorist, but it certainly kind of readjusts my view of the likelihood of a conspiracy um, when conspiracies are really based on the idea that you have a group of people with aligned interests who keep their mouth shut. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I just found it an, an interesting story in the sense that it interrupted my view <laughs> of the world somewhat. Yeah. And I think has probably contributed to a, uh, a marginal realignment of the way I thought about people keeping their mouth shut and engaging in um, controversial activities together. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of the sort of general conspiracy theory angle, um, we don't have time to go into them, but there are, there are a large number of, you know, genuine widespread conspiracies um, that have, you know, negatively affected thousands, if not millions of people that, are, you know, actually happened. Sure. Um, that required a lot of people keeping their mouths shut, um, you know, one quick example would be in the 1930s, in the, uh, in the or was it 1930s, 1920s, height of the Prohibition, um, and, uh, and the American government actually basically spiked um, a bunch of uh, medicinal liquor that people were getting drunk on, and thousands of people died. Yeah, um, yeah, I heard about that. Uh, and there's been various others like that. Um, uh, but again, it did eventually get out. Um, I mean, so do you think people do people do speak eventually? Mm. Um, Maybe it's just a function of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that conspiracies exist, and that um, you know, lots of people do bad things in large groups, yeah. in relatively large groups. But these days, when information flows so freely and it's so easy for it to leak, I, I mean, yeah, it seems to be now harder than ever to carry out a conspiracy. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, a, a decent rule of thumb, or certainly my rule of thumb when, I'm, when I hear about a conspiracy theory, is to think about the amount of people who would need to be keeping this secret and the range of people who had been needing to keep this secret. Mm. Um, and I think the, uh, the fucking chemtrails ones is like a good go-to yeah. conspiracy theory. Like the sheer number of people, like from politicians to 
goddamn airline crew and everyone in between uh, who, would, who would need to be keeping quiet about this. Yeah. Like, is it, like, it, like that's just an easy one. You can go, yeah, that's, you're a fucking idiot. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it goes without saying that one's really stupid. Yeah. Um, you know, not least of all because there's a really obvious explanation for why there yeah. are trails when a plane flies overhead. It's just condensation. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that, that's, that would be an example of a really easy one where you can just go, you can just rule it out. Um, mm. And then you've got, you know, right up the other end of the scale where you might say have, um, you know, uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but a conspiracy theory of, um, you know, top finance people and politicians working together for mutual enrichment. Um, and then you find out that they all go to sex parties together and you go, oh yeah, there might, def- there might be something to that because it's really only themselves who have to keep quiet about it and their prostitutes and they all have um, self-interest in keeping quiet about it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that you've got that sort of range. Yeah, so you're saying my operating principles aren't necessarily incorrect. I just need to readjust my expectations on um, yeah, basically... I need to privilege a bit more the ability of people to keep their mouths shut when they've got a good reason to. Yeah. And I suppose in this situation, everybody's got a good payday, whether it be with, you know, to put it bluntly, pussy or money. Yeah. Um, so they're all sort of, they've all got an interest, I suppose, in keeping their mouths shut. Um, so, mate, let's round it off. I think uh, we're done for the day. Yeah. Um, just quickly, uh, we got a bit of feedback on, uh, on Twitter during the week, um, from Decarta at Despex. That's Dave Carter, good <laughs> mate of mine who I know well. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, he uh, he thought there was uh, there was plenty happening in the week, as did I. Um, yeah, so he he was suggesting we have a bit of a chat about um, the Ukrainian uh, inverted comma peace deal, um, uh, as well as some uh, the Sydney terrorism thing, which we touched on. We didn't really speak on too much. Um, mm. and, uh, and we didn't, uh, we didn't get to speak about any of the, uh, specifically Australian political stuff, uh, with Tony Abbott this week. Um, but I don't think we can speak about Tony every week, to be honest. Put it this way. I think we'll have an opportunity sometime in the near future. Yeah. If the general consensus is that he's a dead man walking. There'll be something to talk yeah. about in a few months, probably. Yeah. This was, uh, this was his first week of good government, he said. And it was a very bad week for him. I, I can't see him lasting. Hmm. All right. Well, as ever, guys, if you've got any feedback, let us know. Mail at patandrodsavetheworld.com. Yep. And you can hit us up on Twitter. Um, my handle is PJ Brow. And I'm at Roderick Bacon. All right. And you can get both of those Twitter handles at um, patandrodsavetheworld.com on our very, very, very minimalist webpage. Yeah. <laughs> so one, one, uh, one last little thing that just occurred to me, uh, going back to our Chapel Hill shooting thing. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'm pretty sure I was very clear about it, but when I was, uh, thinking, when I was mentioning about, you know, whether or not the, uh, the shooter was just a, a dickhead who wanted to, uh, go and shoot some filthy Arabs, I wasn't actually saying that Arabs are filthy. I was saying that if that was this guy's mindset um, and the mindset of various people after they've come out watching 
bloody American sniper, um, then that would be what he is thinking. Goes without saying. Goes mate. without saying. You're a top but. bloke. I'd never accuse you of actually having those thoughts. <laughs> but uh, just thought it was worth making the point. Absolutely, precision in podcasting is crucial. <laughs> Notwithstanding the rest of our activity here. Um, all right. Catch you all next week. Have a good one.